So this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, is a dangerous morning, all right? I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, you might feel uncomfortable this morning, all right? I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there for you. You might feel a little discomfort this morning, and here's how I know this. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Every time I get up to preach a message, you guys get to hear it for about 40 minutes on a good day, right? Hopefully not much longer than that. But here's the thing. For me, I get to hear a message for several weeks. So when you get to hear it for 40 minutes, I get to hear it for several weeks as I'm preparing. And I'm just going to tell you now, this message makes me uncomfortable. And here's the thing. I think the best thing for us to do together this morning is realize that while I'm up here, I'm uncomfortable and while you're sitting there, you might be uncomfortable. And here's the great thing about it. Misery loves company, right? We're all in it together this morning. And so let's embrace the uncomfortable feeling we have together this morning, okay? We are in the middle of a series called The Incredible Life. And really, it's the whole idea that with Jesus, life is incredible. And we said a few things last week about what the incredible life looks like. And I want to review those. So they're there in your handout. But look at what we've said. The incredible life is not based on our outer circumstances, but on our inner choices. The incredible life is based not on our outer circumstances, it's based on our inner choices. And for a lot of us, that's hard to grapple, uh, to grapple with. Grapple? Grapple's not a word. Grapple's a word, though. That's hard for us to grapple with. Why? Because for a lot of us, we have bought into the lie that our day and our month and our year is made incredible or not incredible based on the things that hit our life, based on life based on whether we got that raise this year or we got fired this year. And we think in terms of that. We think our day is rated, whether it was incredible or not incredible, based on what things have hit our lives. And we have become victims of our circumstances. And for a lot of us in this room, and hopefully this isn't you, but maybe it is, you're thinking to yourself, my life is pretty mediocre, and the reason you might think that this morning is because if you're in Christ, the fact of the matter is you've bought into the lie that circumstances determine the incredible life, and they don't. And the fact of the matter is, I said this last week, I want to get to the end of my life, and I want my life to count for something Something bigger than a job, something bigger than where I live or how much money I had or what I gave to my kids as an, as an inheritance. I want my life to count to, for more than those things. To come to the end of life and say, wow, what an incredible life. Not because of my health and not because of my wealth, but because of the choices that I was able to make through God working through me and how God used that to exalt him and to love others. And here's the thing. A lot of us, if we were truthful, we know people that are living this kind of life. It's not just something out there of, yeah, we know those people and these people that live that. No, some of us can right now, when we think about, hey, who's living the incredible life, you can think of people right now in your head. And I'm not trying to embarrass people this morning, but I, I just want to call a few of them out in my life. 
I think of Pastor Jeff Brendel. He's no longer a pastor. He's a retired pastor. I get to spend time with him uh, on on an occasional basis. And that man is living the incredible life. Not because of the circumstances of his life. In fact, if we're going to be honest, he's buried two wives. He's buried two wives. He's had a myriad of health issues within his own life. And every time I get around this guy, I'm sensing the presence of God doing something incredible in this retired pastor. I think about my friend Quint McCoy. He's an 80-something-year-old, he would say 80 years young, uh, man that's normally in our 930 gathering. And every time I get around him, I'm just filled with just the power of knowing that God can use me to speak to others about who he is, who God is. And Quint does that for me, man. Quint, God uses him in my life, an example for me to follow. Last night, me and my wife went on a walk, and we were walking by Gary and Heidi's house. Gary and Heidi Marburger, he's one of our pastors here. And literally, one of the conversations we have, I mean, we, we both come from great families. We have great parents to model after, and God's given us that as an example. But God's given us more than that. He's also given us other families that aren't in our family to, to follow after. And we were walking by Gary and Heidi's house, and, and here's the thing. We weren't impacted by the house were impacted by the people living in the house. That when we look at people like, and I I know that's putting them on the spot this morning, I didn't mean to embarrass them, but when when me and my wife look at people like that, we say, man, that's the kind of life we want to be living when we're their age. And it has nothing to do with health or wealth or what they've achieved. It has everything to do that there's a God-centered focus in their lives, an others-loving persona that they bring into the mix. And for you out there, maybe you know of people like that. Maybe you can think of those people right off the top of your head. And maybe you have that desire to be that yourself. God is calling us to the incredible life. And we said this last week. We said that the incredible life is, in fact, a God-centered and others-focused existence. That when we look at what God says about what it means to live the incredible life, it's not about outer circumstances. It's about the inner choice to focus on God and to focus and love others as well. This incredible life, and we said this, the vertical orientation we have with God. That we will love him with all we are. But it's more than that. It's also this horizontal orientation, this love for other people that drives us to great things done the power of the Holy Spirit. So we said this last week, the one living the incredible life is the one who sees the need and meets it. The one who knows the price and pays it and the one that doesn't talk themselves out of doing what God is calling them to do. And it's really easy for us to hear these things and think, okay, it's a whole nother world to actually do them. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We said this last week, but when Jesus shows up and begins his public ministry here on earth, he shakes up the status quo. He shakes up everything that they thought about what it means to be incredible, what it means to live a life of incredible living. He shakes all of that up and he shakes it up with some very radical thoughts. Like most of the people that heard Jesus in that day thought, man, that 
is radical. And if we're honest, we kind of see that too. We might have even grown up in church, but we know that when we hear Jesus say something, it seems radical to us. It seems counterintuitive. And the fact of the matter is, Luke 12 is no exception to that. Luke 12 probably is one of the most counterintuitive things that we face on a day-to-day existence right here on earth. So Luke chapter 12, here's the thing. It all begins with a family feud, all right? I halfway expected like Corby to come out from the back, our children's pastor. If you know anything about him, the first thing you know when you meet Corby is he says, hey, I'm Corby, I've been on family feud. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. We make a joke with him about that. But here's the thing. That's not the family feud we're talking about. We're talking about a different thing that happens right here in Luke chapter 12. We're about 13 verses in. And here's what Jesus was saying in the first 12 verses. He's talking about what it means to acknowledge Christ, what it means to follow Christ. He talks about spiritual hypocrisy and what that looks like. He talks about um, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is talking about some very, very serious things in the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 12. Very serious things. And then there's this one guy, and you know that guy. It's the guy that never says the right thing at the right time. It's the guy that doesn't sense the room. We know those people, right? Like, we know those people. This guy is not paying attention to what Jesus is talking about. He's not focused on what Jesus is saying. He comes from out of left field with this thing right here. And I'm surprised he just doesn't embarrass himself when he asks this question. So we've got blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, spiritual hypocrisy, what it means to acknowledge Christ. And then this guy stands up and literally shames himself with what he says to Jesus. Look at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you've got to sense the humor here, guys. This is hilarious. All this serious talk, and this guy's just like not even paying attention. All he cares about is trying to get his brother to divide the inheritance with him, and he thinks Jesus can help him do it. And what does Jesus say in verse 14? But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator of you? Now, here's the whole point of this, and the reason I include this into our message today. This man was looking for Jesus to serve him, not save him. This man was looking for Jesus to serve him, but he wasn't really interested in this man saving him. And this isn't the main point for this morning, but man, it's an important one for us to remember. That Jesus is not merely a teacher that gives us options to consider. Jesus is not merely a teacher that gives us options to consider. No, he is a Lord, he is the Lord that gives us commands to obey. And the danger and the temptation that we find ourselves in so many times on a Sunday morning is that we can come in here, we can open up the very words that Jesus teaches. We can open these up and listen to the words that Jesus tells us and walk out of here with some options to consider and miss the fact that he's not giving us options to consider he's giving us commands to obey 
that it's more than us coming in on a Sunday, hearing the word to be served. It might very well be that God wants to save us from something. Not just save us from hell, but save us at times from our sin and from ourselves and from our mindsets. And this is important for us to remember this morning when we think about the uncomfortable feeling that we're all about to experience. That maybe this morning God's not wanting us to walk out of here with just options to consider. Maybe he wants us to walk out of here with some commands to obey. So Jesus, in response to this man, decides to give a familiar warning. And it's a warning that we've seen through Scripture. Look at what Jesus says here. He Basically, after this man stands up and does that, he refutes the man. He says, hey, we're not talking about that. And then Jesus is like, but while we're on the subject, while we're on the subject of inheritance and wealth and all that good stuff, while we're on the subject, let's talk about it for just a minute. And this is what Jesus says in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness beware of wanting too much for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses anybody feeling just a little discomfort yet i am the incredible life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Everything that Jesus was saying here was nothing new under the sun, by the way. This was not like just some brand new teaching that was like, oh, okay. No, Jesus talks about this all the time. In fact, Jesus commanded us to pray 121 times. He commanded us to believe 160 times. He commanded us to love 551 times. He commands us to give 908 times. One in every three messages. One in every three parables that Jesus taught had to do with wealth and possessions. And this is what Jesus says in verse 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful so you have this rich guy he's obviously in the agriculture business we don't know if he's the guy out there farming or if he's got people doing it but here's what we know he owns some fields and on those fields some crops have come in now here's the question that we need to ask who's bringing the crops who's bringing the abundance and the wealth I love that Jesus picks a crop to describe this because here's the thing the only person responsible for crops growing the only person is God right you can plant a seed you can stick it in the ground but that means nothing you still have to wait for the rains to come and during this time and age you definitely had to wait in this arid area where they were living you had to wait for the rains to come and even if you get the rains who knows maybe the stuff doesn't germinate the only one in charge of this crop coming in is God and here's what's interesting about this God is the giver of abundance he's the giver of wealth God brings the abundance and brings the wealth into this man's life but here's the question that we're talking about today 
is this abundance in his life going to become a blessing or is it going to become a curse? Warren Wearsby says this about wealth. If wealth is to be a source of blessing and not a curse, it must not be uselessly hoarded, unjustly gained, self-indulgently spent, or ruthlessly acquired. And here's the big problem with this guy in the story. He has a ferocious appetite. He has a ferocious appetite. And I'm not talking about an appetite for food. It's bigger and it's broader than that. It's so much bigger. This man has a lot of stuff. And look at what Jesus says about him in verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? This guy finds himself in a dilemma. And here's what the dilemma is. He's got so much stuff, he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know where to store it, how to spend it. He doesn't know what to do. He's got so much stuff. And the temptation for us this morning when we read this passage and when we think about this man, the temptation for us, in fact, some of you might have already said it in your head, the temptation is to say, this isn't me. This isn't me. I, I don't have this guy's problem. Like, I don't have any wealth, Jonathan. I don't have anything. I don't have any abundance. This is not me. But let's take a look for just a minute at the American culture. This stuff blew my mind, by the way. The average household, not the average household just in America, the average household in this room right now, the average household has 300,000 items in it right now. The average size of a home has tripled in size, tripled in just the last 50 years. This one I can believe because I got four kids. The average 10-year-old has 238 toys but only plays with 12 of them daily. And the fastest growing segment of real estate, commercial real estate, over the past four decades is off-site storage facilities. There is enough square footage in storage facilities that every single American could actually sit or stand on that square footage all at the same time. That's how much stuff we have. We live in a culture with a hunger for more. A hunger for more. And there is no easy escape from it because everything in our culture promotes this type of appetite, this type of hunger for more stuff. Mark Twain said this. He said, our civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Did you catch that? Unnecessary necessities. This is the culture that we live in. There is a hunger for more within every single one of us. And here's where it comes to head. We feel it. We feel it every time we go to Amazon or eBay. We feel it every time we walk into Hobby Lobby. We feel it 
when we drive through the car dealership or when we jog in a neighborhood nicer than ours. This desire, this ferocious appetite, this hunger for more. And look at what this man does in verse 18. This hunger, this appetite he has. Verse 18. So the man said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. This man has appetites. And here's what we know to be true about appetites. We all have them. You have appetites, this man has appetites, and truth be told, we might even have some of the same appetites when it comes to stuff. So what do some of them look like? Here's the first one. Your appetite for the sale. That when it comes to stuff, some of us deal with the appetite for the sale. It whispers, I want a deal. I want a deal. And I'm going to ask a question. And it's not too personal, I don't think, but I want you to participate. If you're a married couple in the room, who is the bigger spender in the family? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Let's, let's be honest. It's truth time. Bigger spender in the family. I got my hand up. All right, here's the thing. If you're a couple and both your hands went up, we're going to have a special prayer time for you right after. I didn't say the big spender, I said the bigger spender. It's comparative, right? There's always one in the marriage. And here's the thing that's true about that. You spenders, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. Because this is my life right here. I'll come home with something. Or worse, she finds something. <laughs> you know. And she asks, where did you get it? Or the worst question why did you get this? <laughs> and what does every spender say? It's the same thing. You already know what I'm going to say. Honey, you won't believe the deal I got on this. You won't believe the deal that I got on this thing that is now mine. See, here's the thing. We know all about this. It's the clearance rack at Walmart. It's the bargain hunt. It's the goodwill. It's the everything must go. It's the Groupon, the Brad's deals, and the Facebook marketplace. We know this, that there are hunters in this room right now that have never held a gun. <laughs> Think about that. The buy one, get one, the 50% off plus an extra 30% off if you have the promo code. It's the thrill of the hunt that some of us have an appetite for. And here's what's weird about it. For a lot of us, this is really what we would say. I didn't realize how badly I needed this until I saw how good a deal it is. And here's the thing. For a lot of us, those things are not even on our radar. Until we see the sticker. Until we see the sale, it's not even on our radar. And this is the part that gets super uncomfortable for me. Because over the years, my house has been filled with things that I have bought to salve this appetite. And here's the sad thing. Some of those things I've never even used one time. The shirt in the closet that still has the sticker or the price tag on it. That's never been worn. We 
have this appetite, this appetite for the sale, and we think that it's actually bringing satisfaction, but it's not. The second appetite that some of us face is the appetite for the upgrade. The appetite for the upgrade, and this appetite always whispers the same thing. It whispers, I want better. I want better. And this is where we find our, our guy here. Look at what it says in verse 18 again. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, bigger, better barns. I'll do something bigger and better. And we all know what the upgrade looks like because for a lot of us, we know this. It's not whether you have an iPhone or not. It's whether you have the iPhone 12. And if you've just got one camera on your phone, you are living like a poor man. Because you can now have four cameras on your phone. And it's crazy for you to have one camera. It's, it's just getting by to have two. You can have four cameras on your phone now. Or maybe it's... 1080p? Who does 1080p anymore? I want to see the pores on the man's face when I'm watching him. I'm talking 4K. For some of you, it might be 8K now. Or maybe it's the fridge. You know, I've got a great fridge, but you know that there's fridges now that have the freezer drawer on the bottom, and you can use the freezer space on the bottom, and God forbid you have to bend over to pull lettuce out of the crisper anymore. You can have it up top, right there. We live in, a, in, a, in just a world where it's always about the upgrade. It's about the cars, the clubs, the camping equipment, the shoes, all the different toys. And here's the thing. We will justify in all kinds of different ways why we need the upgrade. We'll justify it. We'll say things like, oh, we got Bluetooth 4.0 or this one's completely waterproof. I mean, just the craziest stuff thinking that these are the things that are going to satisfy. And here's the thing. For some of us, we're laughing, we're snickering, we're thinking about it. And for some of you, you're not even thinking about yourself. You're thinking about like Fred, right? I remember Fred. I saw him the other day. He got something else. Fred is always about the upgrade, isn't he? He is always about that upgrade. But what about you? What is it in your life that you are constantly feeding this appetite? A few years ago, uh, actually several years ago, I did a lot of traveling. I still do a lot of traveling. I get the privilege on our staff to be responsible for a lot of our overseas missions. So I get to do all kinds of different missions and uh, it's one of my favorite things about our church, being partnered with different people uh, all over the country and, or all over the world. And uh, one of the things someone told me years ago is you need to invest in a good travel pillow. I mean, if you're going to be spending the night on an airplane, you need to invest in a good travel pillow. So you know what I did? I went to Walmart and I got the Members Mark version of the travel pillow. And I thought I had arrived. I'd never traveled with a pillow before. And I put this baby on that first flight, took a Tylenol PM, and I was gone. <laughs> and those of you that have flown with me, you know what I'm talking about. I can be in like a solid coma for 10 hours on a flight. And here's the thing. I slept amazing on this thing. It was wonderful. But then one day, I was looking and guess what? I found something better than my Members Mark, Sam's Choice, Walmart pillow. 
I found a sea to summit. Look, there's drool on that right there. A sea to summit pillow. And here's the great thing about the sea to summit neck pillow, if you didn't know this. This thing's inflatable, so I can ball this up in something really small. And that was kind of my justification because I needed the extra, what, inch that I'm gaining by having this ball up into a little ball. And so I had this, and guess what? This is the craziest thing. I would sleep on this, and guess what? The sleep was literally no different between this and the Walmart pillow. Same sleep. Tylenol PM does the trick, all right? And then about a month and a half ago, guys, this is amazing. I was online, and it was on sale, and I found the Cabo. C-A-B-E-A-U. It's a French word, which you know that means it's better, right? <laughs> and this not only has the neoprene like the Cedar Summit has, this has the memory foam inside too. And that is, I have not even used this thing yet. <laughs> but here's the thing, I'm pretty excited about using this, all the neck support I can get. But here, here, here's the truth about our upgrades. You're actually proving my point. Here's the truth about our upgrades. Sometimes I think God looks at me and thinks, this is how ridiculous I am with my upgrades. <laughs> oh, look, there's Jonathan with another neck pillow. <laughs> Guys, here's the thing. When we're honest, it can be neck pillow. It can be any kind of toy that we have. But how ridiculous is it? That there's always an upgrade that we need, that we want. There's always this appetite for more and better and bigger. And it's something that we face. The third appetite that I want to talk about is the appetite for the entitled. And this is kind of an overarching appetite. This is really the appetite under the appetite, if you know what I mean. And this whispers, I deserve this. I work 40 hours a week. I work 50 hours a week. I deserve this. I make a lot of money. I deserve this. Look at what, the, what it says here in verse 17 and 18. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. What's the common denominator in the story? Himself. All this man can do is think about himself. I, me, mine. What does that sound like? It sounds like a two-year-old. This is no lie. I'm not making up. I know sometimes people think, you know, illustrations are embellished or whatever. This is a true statement. My wife can back this up. Two days ago, I'm literally on my computer working on this message, typing away. My wife walks in the door with our two-year-old, and he's throwing a fit. And here's why he's throwing a fit. Because my wife went to the store to buy another two-year-old a birthday present that my son was going to go and give the two-year-old birthday present. But my two-year-old wanted that birthday present. And I'm not kidding. I'm sitting at my computer, and it's, I'm probably not having the best dad moment because he's talking, and I'm just typing everything he says. And here's what's crazy. He gives me three sentences. 
Three little two-year-old sentences, this is exactly what he says verbatim. I don't want my toys. I want to throw them in the trash. I want these toys. And here's the thing that we see. It's a funny story, and it's, it's a true story. But here's the thing. For a lot of us, man, we're not much different than a two-year-old. We sense and feel the same thing. If we're honest, this is where all of our appetites come from. A desire to fulfill myself at any cost. And what we don't even realize is that these appetites might bring about an initial feeling of excitement. It might bring about an initial feeling of energy in our lives. But ultimately, it's really a false satisfaction. A false satisfaction. We see this in the man. The man indulges. He indulges his appetites. And then look at what it says in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, who talks like that, by the way? If you do, I'm sorry, that's weird. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. This man finally thinks that he's arrived. He finally thinks that he's found his ultimate satisfaction. But here's the truth about his hunger for more. And here's the truth about your hunger for more and your appetites. Your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They will never be fully and finally satisfied on this side of heaven. They never will be. And everyone knows this to be true. Why? Because every one of us has sat down for our Thanksgiving meal. We've sat down to mom's cooking, grandma's cooking, whoever, and we've eaten and we've eaten and we've eaten and we've eaten. And what do we say at the end of that big, giant meal? I cannot eat another bite. And three hours later, we're back in the refrigerator. Why? Because our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And we've got to learn this. That there's no amount of stuff that will satisfy our appetite. That when it comes to the appetite for stuff, there's never enough. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of entertainment that will ever satisfy that appetite. So we look to satisfy, and here's the thing, we lose something even greater in the process. Because here's the other thing about your appetites. Your appetites will always sacrifice the ultimate for the immediate. Your appetites will always sacrifice the ultimate for the immediate. They always whisper now and never later. And when we constantly indulge them, we are sacrificing the future and the ultimate for the immediate and the now. And this has consequences in our life. Let's be honest. Lots of people in the room are in debt. I know, it just got really real, right? Lots of people in the room are in debt. And I know there's these moments where life sucker punches you. You know, the moment where you're driving your car 
to go pick up your wife's broke down car and then that car breaks down and you get it to the shop and you think, oh, it's the starter. And the mechanic's like, no, it's the engine. How much is that going to cost? 5000 Oh, cool. Um, how much is my wife's car going to cost? Ooh, not so lucky on that one. And we have moments like that. We have moments where everything just hits at once. But let's be honest. Most of our debt boils down to the house we can't afford, the car we can't afford, the entertainments that we can't afford. It boils down to the fact that we can eat dinner for $6 at home, but we go to the Cheesecake Factory and spend $62. It boils down to the stuff that we can't afford in life. And here's the thing, and this is not always true, but debt typically is a sign that we don't control our appetites well. And we are sacrificing the ultimate for the immediate just to feed an appetite that we're going to feel hours later. And that's not the worst consequence. The worst consequence is that there's not only temporal and physical consequences there's also eternal consequences that there is a spiritual realm that we as believers are in or if you're not a believer like it or not there's a spiritual realm and this is what we see with this man this man thinks he has it all and look at what verse 20 says but God said to him fool moron dumb dumb this night your soul will be required of you Whose will those things be which you have provided? He's basically saying, hey, who will get what you intended for yourself? And for some of you, you're thinking, well, that, that, that's okay. His kids will get it. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. His kids are probably going to mismanage the stuff just as bad as he did because there was never an example in their lives about what it looked like to live the incredible life in this. In the end, was all of this acquisition of stuff really worth it? People who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. Nothing incredible about this man's life. Nothing. He has all this abundance. He has all this wealth. And in the end, nothing incredible remains. He lost everything which lead, led him and really which leads a lot of us to this fatal starvation. A fatal starvation that we feel. In verse 21, Jesus takes this story and he turns it outward. He turns it to everyone listening to the story, including us in the room. And he says this, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich and is not generous toward God. Jesus is saying here that anyone who does things like this is no different than this fool. In the end, his mistake was fatal. And here's the thing we got to keep in mind. Jesus is not knocking retirement. He's not knocking savings accounts. He's not knocking on the fact that you need a house to live in. He's not knocking even on cars. He's not knocking on providing. 
In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 talks about that side. It talks about the idea that we are responsible to provide for our families. But for some of us, and it's the exact same thing they said in the video, for some of us, we are binging on all the wrong things and dying of hunger for the things that really matter. And the very hunger we are trying to satisfy leaves us starving for more. Why? Because it's, it's kind of implied that all of this abundance in this man's life wasn't given to him to store it and spend it all on himself. The blessings of God, including the blessing of abundance and wealth, is not meant to all be spent on me. We talked about this last week when it came to the love of God, right? The mercy of God, the love of God, the blessing, the spiritual inheritance that God gives us. It's not meant to terminate here. It's meant to flow through me. That's what loving God and loving others looks like. We have been gifted and given by God to push back what is dark in the world and to terminate all that stuff on you is ultimately robbing you of the incredible life that Christ came to give you. So here's the question. How much is enough? How much do you really need? How much is enough? How many neck pillows is it going to take? Jesus is calling us to an incredible life by forsaking the idea that we will find lasting meaning and joy in our stuff. The incredible life is not about gaining, it's about giving. And this is one of the most counterintuitive things that you'll hear this morning. And this is what Jesus is saying, that we gain more by giving than we gain by gaining. And this is what God has for us. This is where I leave you this morning. And this is why it's so difficult to talk about and why it's so uncomfortable. Because some of you are thinking, well, how much do I give? How much do I keep back? How much do I save? How much do I invest? How much do I... That's not for me to answer. This is where I leave you. It's literally, I, I feel like, honestly, I'm pulling a grenade and chunking it in your little thought brain. And that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm leaving you with a truth grenade this morning. And here's the thing about grenades. You know what the easiest way to, to take care of a grenade is? Take it and throw it back. And here's the thing. For some of you, that's what you're feeling right now in this moment. You're feeling, I've been hit with this truth. I don't know if I can handle this truth. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it back, and as soon as I walk out of this exit door, or that exit door, or that exit door, I'm going to throw this completely out of my brain, because I can't handle this truth. And what God is saying to us is, hey, I'm not giving you options to consider. I'm giving, us, I'm giving you commands to obey. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I want you to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. The incredible life is not based on the barns. It's not based on the money or the crops or the stuff. That's not the point of the message this morning. It's not based on whether you have abundance or not. That's not the point. It's based on the heart. It's based on the inner choice to either be temporarily satisfied by stuff 
or to be sent out and set ablaze on mission for God. And the gospel this morning is Jesus not looking at you saying, you better repent of this or we're not talking. It's not, hey, you better go get a compassion kit or hey, you better give a lot more money to the church. That's not the gospel. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, I have bought you with a serious price. And I bought you with a price, my blood, my sacrifice. I bought you with that. And I'm trying to save you from you. To rescue you out of a life of frivolity, being swallowed up by trinkets and garbage that is just a few years away from being in a landfill somewhere. And guys, this is where I find myself this morning. Conflicted. Weeks of this. Conflicted. Stuff having to leave my house. Not my kids' stuff or my wife's stuff. It's, it's my stuff. Like, this is a personal thing that I'm going through. How much is enough? I want my life to count for something, and I believe most of you in this room want that. When are we going to stop living for our games and start living for the fact that we have the privilege to push darkness away with what we give in this world? Loving God loving others through the way we serve and the way we give that's the incredible life so as you raise to your feet as you stand as we get ready to sing here we're about to sing a song see a victory I see a victory and for some of you this morning you're you're thinking about this and you're thinking I don't know if I see a victory here Jonathan I'm so consumed with my appetites I'm so consumed with the hunger for more. I don't know if I can get victory in this area of my life. And I love the very next line of that song. For the battle belongs to the Lord. That it's not our battle. That we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are born again, we are not fighting this battle. We are not fighting these appetites on our own. We have the power of God living in us. And this battle belongs to him. The battle for stuff and materialism and things, it belongs to God. And it's about resting in him. It's finding contentment in him. So wherever you find this yourself this morning, I pray that you would embrace the uncomfortable. That you wouldn't throw this truth grenade back at me. But that you would sit in this truth this morning. And as you leave this place that you would begin to ask the question, how much is enough? Heavenly Father, we pray, God, right now, Lord, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. This is not a one-and-done kind of thing. This is not a quick fix, Lord. This is an everyday temptation to be finding satisfaction in stuff rather than you. So Jesus, help us each day, God, to just embrace your spirit in this area. And God, that you would begin to change our heart's affection towards you and towards others. And we know, God, that when we do that, that is when we are living the incredible life. Thank you, Jesus, for this incredible life that you offer us. Help us to grab hold of it and take it for ourselves. In Jesus' name.